welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everybody. Everybody. (laughs) Thank you for that moment of appreciation. That was really unexpected and very, very kind. Uh, We love... We love getting to do what we do, and we love our church family. And so um, we, just, we just say back to you how much we appreciate you and how much we love you and how grateful we are to be uh, the staff of our ministry team of this church. It's a, it's a gift. We talk about it a lot as a team that this is not, this is not a normal what we get to do, and we're grateful. So, so how are you all doing today? You good? Well, I want to begin with a little bit of fun today. I, uh, I, I, wanna, I want you to try and remember your favorite album as a teenager, as a 15, 16, 17-year-old. If you are a teenager, then maybe your favorite album as an 8- or 9-year-old, okay? I want you to remember your favorite album, and then I want you to tell the person next to you what that album was. No shame here, whatever it is that you like. Go ahead and tell them real quick. Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves your favorite album. I'm sure there's some good ones out here. All right, if you're still talking about your favorite album, let the other person talk now. What's their favorite album? All right, all right, all right. So I just want a few, I want a few examples here. Uh, can, can you guys talk back to me a little bit today? Give me a few albums. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's over here? Jonas Brothers. Okay, you're young, you're young. Anybody else? Boys to Men. Yeah, I like Boys to Men, yes. Phil Collins, okay. All right, I need someone that's a little more mature, as we like to say. Give me an older one. Seek <laughs> is not mature. I'm just telling you, it's not. Anybody else? Huh? Frank Sinatra, not that. Blue eyes, right? I'm all about some Frank. One more record over here. What's that? I don't even know who that is. I don't even know. I guess I'm not cultured. I don't know. I was a kid of the 90s, so Boys the Men speaks my language, you know, LL Cool J, but then really it was all about alternative rock in the 90s. You know what I mean? Nirvana, you know, Green Day. I was a Counting Crows fan. I know that was kind of probably an unpopular band, but they were so chill and so good to listen to. I mean, so here's the thing about music, right? Music, when you remember music, when you remember like the songs of your childhood or your teenage years, like you hear a song now, like, and it just takes you back, doesn't it? And you're just like, oh yeah, this is where music was good. What is up with the music today? Music back then was what was good. And so you love the music of that era of your life because you remember it. It takes you back. Some of you, all you need to hear is a Michael Jackson song. And it just, it conjures up some sort of memory that can't stop you from moving, right? You know, and you just have to move to the song. And that's what happens in our brains is our brain has memory, especially of things like music. And that causes us to react in a certain way. I know for my family, we can't hear the Frozen soundtrack Number one, Frozen. 
Frozen 1 soundtrack, and you know, we can't hear the song Let It Go and Let It Go, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're all in, because it has all the memories, you know what I'm saying, and all the, all the things that we, we can get into. And so like I said, music is an example of how our brains use memories to connect us to emotion and feeling and even beliefs. And science tells us that our memories inform us how to live, respond, and act throughout life in all different circumstances. So our brains are working in such a way in where our past memories are, are of course, informing our present experiences. And I know this is, you know, pretty, pretty basic, because, for example, like if I burnt my tongue on some coffee yesterday, well, the recent memory tells me that I should take it easy on the first sip of my coffee today, right? Which is why we do things like this. We, we squint and we slurp. I have no idea why we sprint, spr- uh, squint when we drink coffee, but we do it because of memory. Are you with me? Right, so I wanna go somewhere today that I think is gonna be exciting, but it's also gonna be challenging because God has done some things that we should remember. And we don't always remember like we should. And so um, to get into this, why don't you just look at the person next to you, you've been talking to them already anyway, and say the way of life. Just go ahead and say the way of life. We are in week number six of this series of teachings from the Gospels, and today's message is titled, he did it again, and uh, yeah, and we're in Mark chapter 8, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to that. We find a story of Jesus there feeding 4,000 people on seven loaves of bread uh, and just a few fish. Now, the more popular feeding miracle is the one where Jesus feeds 5,000 people on five fish, right? And that's actually recorded in Mark chapter 6. It's also in the other three gospel accounts, uh, but we have two feeding miracles in the scriptures. And Mark 8 is similar to the original one. It's just a little different. He did it with 4,000 instead of 5,000. And we all should remember a pretty basic uh, fact is that most scholars believe that that just counted the men, of course. And so really, if you counted the women and children in there, these crowds were probably three, four times that size. And so in the Jesus feeding 4,000, we're talking about a crowd of 12 to 16 thousand people that were gathered near the Sea of Galilee in an area known as the Decapolis. And they had been with Jesus now when this story takes place for several days. They had been walking with him, uh, it says for, for three days in the scriptures, but this is Jesus feeds, you know, thousands, feeds the masses part two. Now, uh, here's the thing. Usually the sequel's not as good as the original, but this one is, is pretty close. And I, I kind of like it. And so, Here's the deal. We're going to start in verse 2, Mark 8. Jesus has this big crowd, and it says, I have compassion for these people, for they have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. How many of you know that if you have thousands of people with no food, we have a problem? <laughs> verse number 3. I'll send, if, uh, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? This is really painful to read if you know the story of the disciples. You're like, ah, man, Jesus put it on the tee for you to knock it out of the park. He's like, Jesus like, all right, guys, we have a situation. We got a bunch of people 
and not enough bread. Maybe we've been in this moment before. Maybe you'll remember. But does anyone have any ideas what we can do? And they're like, ah, oh, man, Jesus, you know, there's not, a, there's not a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's anywhere around. I don't know where we're going to get enough bread to feed all these people. And he's like, ah. Oh. So this is painful if you know the story because, of course, the disciples have been in this exact moment before. And it hadn't been all that long. And yet here they are with the ball on the tee, taking a swing and completely missing. And so Jesus, in verse 5, says, well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked this question. Seven, they replied. So he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. So you can imagine he's just breaking the bread and he's just giving it. He's just giving, like, how is that even happening? Like, he, every time he breaks it, it doesn't go anywhere. It just continues to produce more and more bread. And he's giving it out, giving it out. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gives thanks for them also. And he told the disciples to distribute them. So at this point, I believe it's probably obvious to the disciples. They're like, oh my gosh, he did it again, <laughs> right? He did it again. Everyone say, he did it again. Did. One more time, he did it again. Did. The disciples should have known better. He had already done this, and here he is doing the same thing he had already done, yet they thought, I don't know, Jesus, what are we going to do? And all they needed was a little bit of bread and a lot of Jesus, and the problem was solved. So after everyone eats their fill, there's a moment Jesus gets done with the miracle. The Pharisees come up, and they're not really having the miracle. Maybe they think he had some trick. Maybe he was hiding all the bread up his sleeve. I don't know what he was doing behind some curtain, but they didn't buy the miracle. And so they said, no, 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 no. Show us a real sign, Jesus. We want to see a sign in the sky. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to show you a sign because signs are not so you can see in order to believe. It's actually those who believe that will see. And so then he drops the mic and he walks off, right? And in verse 13, this is what happens. Jesus left them, meaning the Pharisees. He got back into the boat and he crossed over to the other side. The disciples had forgotten. Everyone say forgot. <laughs> the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. I love it. Except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Sort of an odd statement in the boat. They're like, what is he talking about? And Jesus said this because he had obviously just been with the Pharisees. And he uses this example of yeast because a little bit of yeast in a batch of dough makes the whole thing rise. And he says a little bit of evil will kind of mess up the whole batch. And that's what's happening with the Pharisees and even King Herod. Just a little bit of evil's in there, and it's messing up the whole batch. And they discuss, verse 16, what this with one another, trying to figure out what he was talking about. And he says, oh, man, it's because we have no bread. He's talking about yeast because we have no bread. So the disciples, are, they're, they're awesome. And verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you, not, do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Everyone say remember. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, he's referencing back, right, a little bit, a few weeks before. How many basketfuls 
uh, of leftover pieces did you pick up then? Oh, 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of leftover pieces did you pick up then? They answered, seven baskets. He said to them, do you, do you still not understand? Jesus is like, I keep putting the ball on the tee for you to knock it out of the park, yet you still aren't seeing, you still aren't hearing, you still aren't learning, you aren't remembering. Why do you keep forgetting? Jesus is like, it's like he wants to shout, I did it before and I can do it again. <laughs> There's so much to talk about here, but I'm going to do my best to keep it concise. <laughs> That's funny. Um, let's consider the role of memory in the scriptures. Jesus says, and don't you remember? We could do a number of weeks on the theology of memory, by the way, but I'll start with this. There are some things that we're supposed to forget and some things that we're supposed to remember. I want you to stay with me because there's this reality that we may not literally forget something. We may still have a conscious memory of something. However, we can forget things in a type of way that don't shape the things that we do in the present. And there's also, conversely, the things that we should remember that do shape the things we do in the present. The disciples at this moment should have had memories to shape the moment they were in. It should have caused something in them to, it should have triggered from a memory to an act of faith to believe. There are things that we're supposed to forget and there are things that we're supposed to remember. So let me just talk a minute about the things that we're supposed to forget. There are some things that God tells us intentionally to forget. Philippians 3.13 says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul is speaking about his own life. And if you know Paul's story, he had a lot of baggage. He had a lot of things he regretted. And here's the thing. Paul speaks many other times in the scriptures about his past. So he's not stuffing it. He's not avoiding it. He's not burying it like it never happened. He's just saying, I'm going to forget it. And it's not going to have power over my future. Instead, he says, I'm going to forget the things of the past, and I'm going to put on the new self. And so what we find inside this idea of forgetting is there's a lot of New Testament theology about if you want to become a new creation in Christ, you're going to have to forget your old self. Because if your old self has power of your new self, it's not going to work. And so here we have this idea of forgetting right here, but then Jesus, he takes it a step further because he reminds us that God was the first one to forget. So let me just remind you of this. Hebrews 8.12, there's a lot of intentionality and forgetting in the idea of forgiveness. God chooses to forget our sin in order to forgive us and reconcile his children. Check this out, Hebrews 8.12, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. He gives us the same instruction for one another, doesn't he? Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if if any of you has a grievance against the other, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how does the Lord forgive you? Well, he forgets your sin. It is no more. He wipes it away. And he's saying, I want you to forgive in the same way. So am I just saying the kind of the cliche statement, forgive and forget? I just want you to be reminded, where do you think that came from? Right? We don't literally forget, 
But does God give us the ability to live as if something never happened? Yes, he does. Let's consider that theology surrounding forgiveness and how it's extremely attached to our memories, because it really is. You know, there's a great book called The End of Memory. The author, his name is, his name is Miroslav Volf. Great name, right? Uh, he was a prisoner of war in the Bosnian conflict, and he, has, he was tortured um, violently during that, and he talks about his process of forgiveness. And he says, better, it's, it, he talks about forgetting, but better said is probably letting go of memory. And this is what he writes, talking about memory. Because he realized, by the way, it only perpetuated evil to continue to remember these things. He said, what incredible power evil would have if once you had wronged someone, that you, the person you had wronged, and God would remain permanently marked by it. Would there not resound a hellish laughter of the triumphant underworld because it has succeeded in casting its eternally dark shadow over the world? To be overcome, evil doing must be consigned to its proper place, nothingness. Non-remembrance does precisely that, as Kierkegaard insisted, which is a great um, theologian in church history. He said, to forget is to take nothing back, as if nothing happened. Karl Barth, another great theologian of our, of our Christian history, thought no differently. To the past and to oblivion is where God's word consigns the great destructive something to properly become nothing. You might have to read that like four or five times to really absorb it all, but I want to share one more thing he writes in summarizing his statement uh, or in his book, in this one statement, he says, perfect love is the goal of memory. And when that goal is reached, the memory of wrongs can end, can itself can end. Now, I'd love to unpack this because it's really <laughs> has some sweeping implications, doesn't it? How to overcome evil that's been done to us. Maybe we've been abused or maybe we've been neglected, or maybe there's been some evil wrong done to us. I just want you to know I'm in no way suggesting that there should be a memory swipe. I'm in no way suggesting that, you, oh, you just, you just move on and act like it never happened. That's not what this is about. I actually believe the scriptures teach, and I know this book does as well, in holy justice and righteous reconciliation. However, I'm simply talking to one part, the personal part of our ownership and what forgiveness is all about. That there's a part of the process in which eventually you have to let, you have to let the wrong, eventually to heal, to reconcile, or to forgive, we have to let that destructive thing go to its proper place, which is nothing. Not easy, but I believe God has some things that he wants us to forget and some things that he wants us to remember. God has intentionality with our memory. He wants us to forget things for a certain purpose and remember things for a certain purpose. How many of you know that God is intentional? Right? How many of you know that God doesn't do anything by accident, that he's always doing something with meaning and purpose? Everyone say God is intentional. You see, God is intentional because when God is doing something, he's not just doing something, he's doing something. <laughs> right? When God is doing something, he's doing something intentionally. And even when God is doing nothing, he's doing nothing intentionally so that he can do something. Right? 
I think you guys are with me. This helps us understand what's happening in Mark chapter 8. Jesus wants the disciples to remember something. Jesus wants the disciples to understand something. Do you notice what Jesus says to them in verse 17 and 18? I love this, and I'll put this back on the screen, but he says, do you still not see or understand? This is when he's like, you're not getting this? Are your hearts still hardened? I already read this earlier, but I just want to remind you of it. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Now, here's, here's a little tip when you're reading the Bible. A lot of times you need to notice what the author puts before and after a particular verse, or in this case, a story. What, did, what was going into this and what was coming out of it? And you'll notice at the end of chapter 7, right before the miracle of the 4,000, Jesus goes and heals a blind man, I mean, excuse me, a, a deaf man. And so there's this, it, it ends chapter 7 like, wow, he even restores hearing to the deaf. And then on the very end, at the very end of this story of him feeding the 4,000 and him being on the boat, Jesus goes and heals a blind man. And so he ends, he wraps this story up. And so Mark is very intentional. Like there's this story about the disciples struggling to see and hear. And right before and after the story, he tells a story about Jesus giving people the ability to hear and to see. Are you with me? And so there's, there's just this unbelievable beauty in the scripture of what, of what God is always trying to show us. It's like, listen, I'm going to give you the ability to see and to hear the things that I want you to see and hear. And you need to remember and you need to see the things that I'm doing in order to see it and in order to understand it. And so we have this really cool picture within the scriptures that Mark does for us right there. So the disciples are in this boat and they're, and they're worried about forgetting the bread. Remember that? They're like, we have one loaf. Is he talking about the bread? Which, by the way, they had just picked up seven basketfuls of bread. Where is that bread? (laughs) Surely they didn't eat it all. No one needs that carb load. I don't know if they gave it away. I don't know if they just simply forgot to grab some of that bread for themselves. But how many of you guys, you know, every once in a while we forget like something obvious. You know what I'm talking about? Like right now, I get to the door of a store, and I'm like, dang it, I forgot my mask. And I have to go back to my car. Anybody with me? And I go back to my car. But Jesus isn't talking about forgetting something that's like a little bit of an annoying thing that you forget, a kind of a mistake type of forget. He's actually talking about forgetting something much more critical than that. You see, what the disciples had forgot, they had forgot that what was in the boat was less important than who was in the boat. You see, they had forgot that Jesus, it wasn't about what they had, but it was about who had them. And Jesus in this moment had them in such a way that they didn't have to worry about bread anymore. And they should have had experiences in their memory from two stories now, twice, where he did it once and he did it again, that should inform them they don't need to worry about bread anymore. That he indeed was the bread of life. That he'll provide. God always provides. It may not be what you want, but it'll be what you need. You may not have wanted bread and fish. (laughs) You may have wanted like a charcuterie board and some avocado toast. (laughs) Yes, I'm talking to you, millennials. (laughs) Get over it. (laughs) But you were hungry and he gave you something to eat. Don't forget that. He's the bread of life. He'll provide. 
So the disciples, they're in this boat with one loaf of bread. And Jesus says, don't you get it? Don't you see it? Don't you understand? Don't you remember? Do you think they literally forgot? No. They completely remembered. Yes, you do not forget Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. You don't forget that. They remembered. But for whatever reason, that memory of Jesus doing something great did not transform the next moment. And that, my friends, is the epicenter of the issue. That's the problem we face is that God does something we remember, we may even honor that memory, but does it transform and change who we really are to where when we face that moment again, we'll have the faith to believe that he'll do it again. You see, what I'm facing in my life is that I feel like I should be growing in faith because I've seen God do so many great things behind me. It's like unreal what God's done. So why am I not a giant in my faith? And I think it's because I have a memory issue that I don't apply the things that he's done to the things that he's going to do. The disciples, for whatever whatever reason, didn't remember or translate the miracle of the bread to this new understanding that they didn't have to worry about bread anymore. Do you guys ever worry again and again and again and again about the same thing? You ever worried about money and worried that it's just not going to come through? But then it comes through, but then you worry about money again. God provides, yet you worry again. In 2018, were you worried about 2019? About the future? But yet you're here, yet you made it, yet you made it through. And yet in 2020, you're worried about 2021? You see, we worry and worry about the things that God has already done and that he's going to do again. Maybe because he's looking at us with the same question. Do you still not see? Do you still not hear? Do you not understand? Do you not remember? You know, God doing things twice isn't all that uncommon. And it makes me think of the story of the prodigal son. This young man, he wants, he wants his inheritance early. You remember that story, right? He wants his inheritance early, and so the father, saddened by this, he gives him his inheritance, which includes money, includes clothes, includes all sorts of valuables. It wasn't just like a money, a bag of money. It was a whole bunch of things. So he takes it, and of course, you know the story. He goes and squanders it all on wild living. He loses every bit of it, and he finally comes back to the father. The father, of course, receives him. And if, if you remember in the scripture, though, what does he do as soon as he shows back up? He says, put a robe on him. Give him a ring. Put some shoes on the guy. Because he's my son and he's returned. And here's what I love about the story is he didn't just clothe him once. He clothed him twice. You see, here's the thing. God has enough to do it again. He has enough to give him two inheritances. He has enough to take what he thought was his only chance and to say, no, no, no I'm, a, I'm the God of the second chance. And some of us need to hear that because sometimes we think we don't have another chance, that it's a one-shot wonder. We don't have a one-hit wonder God or a one, you know, we don't have that. We have a God who wants, he's not only the God of the second chance, but the third, fourth, and fifth chance. God is the God who will provide again because he provided once, he'll provide again. God is the God who will heal and he will heal again. God is the one who provided and he'll provide again. God has intentionality within our memory. 
You want to know why some people grow up faster and more mature than others? It's because they remember the right things and forget the wrong things. Jesus, in a small moment with his disciples, asked this question, do you not remember? And I believe it sets off an avalanche of considerations. Don't you remember who I am and what I've done? And shouldn't that shape who you are and what you're going to do? Psalm 77:11 says this, I could never forget all of your miracles, my God, as I remember all of your wonders of old. Luke 22:19 says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We know this moment, the Luke 22 moment. This is the moment with Jesus sitting with his disciples at the table. And he has a very familiar moment, right? He takes this piece of bread and he breaks it. Sounds very familiar to the time in which he was standing in front of 5,000 or 4,000 or whatever number we want to apply to it. And he broke that bread and he gave thanks and he gave it out and he multiplied it. And here they are. And this time there's not, there's not, there's not five loaves. There's not seven loaves. There's one loaf. Just like there was in that boat. There's one loaf. And he says, you know what? I want you to remember this one. Because you remember the miracle before, but I want you to remember what I'm about to do with one act, one sacrifice. I want you to get ready. I broke bread before and you saw miracles. Well, I want you to remember this next miracle that I'm about to do. I'm about to be broken and I'm about to be multiplied. Not for four or five or 12 or 20,000 people, but for all people for all time. And you know what? What I'm going to do with this one loaf will exceed anything that I did with five loaves or seven loaves because Jesus always does the most with the least. You ever done the math? Jesus set, fed 4,000 with seven loaves. He's fed 5,000 with f- five loaves. So how many can Jesus feed with one loaf? It's tricky math, I know. But it seems that the less he has, the more he does. And so here we have this moment where Jesus is like, I want you to remember this one, disciples, because I'm not only, in fact, this isn't even going to be about the bread, because I'm the bread of life. I'm about to be broken. I'm about to be multiplied. And not only will this be for all people for all time, but this will be the sacrifice that will wipe away every sin. Well, I will forget the sin as far as the east is from the west. I will forget that sin. I will wipe away every sin. And I... I will be the one who is the resurrection and the life. So I want you to remember the cross. I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to remember that I've overcome death all for you. This is what he says to him in this moment. You see, when we remember what God has done and allow those memories to shape who we are, well, then the temperature of our faith will rise. And see, when we have a faith problem, it's usually because we have a memory problem. We don't have to doubt God can heal because he's done it before and he'll do it again. We don't have to be afraid to ask because he's answered before and he'll answer again. We can believe he'll save the hard to reach because he's saved them before and he's going to save them again. I'm about to wrap up, but last, last Thursday night at our Thursday night prayer, Um, prayer night, we were spending some time thanking God about a number of things. And uh, 
the Lord brought to my memory, we were just writing out some things we were thankful for, and the Lord brought something to my memory that I hadn't thought of in a long time. He reminded me when I was 13 or maybe 14 years old. It was before I'd given my life to Jesus. I was young, I get it, but, but he brought to mind, and it wasn't even in preparation for this. I didn't know I was going to be talking about this. This was 10 days ago. I didn't know where I was, but he brought something to mind, and he reminded me of the way my life was already bent. It was already bent to rebellion and to selfishness at that age. The things that I esteemed, the things that I wanted to do, the things that I, the people that I wanted to be around, they were all the ways of the world. But God came in and, and he saved me through, through a series of events that happened in my life that played out to where I found myself, you know, in church and uh, coming face to face with who I was and who God was. And I wrestled through it all. I had a lot of doubts for a number of months. And, and, and finally, finally I surrendered my life to Jesus. And, and I remember just having that time on Thursday night, having a memory of God, thank you for saving me from a life of sin and separation. I hadn't thought of that in a long time. And I thought, man, the power of that memory should activate something alive in me today to do whatever I can to help people find Jesus and not have a life of sin and separation. Because if I, if I didn't have that moment and I was still in that place, what a life I would have missed out on. Sometimes we forget how much he's done. Sometimes we forget what he saved us from, for those of you who are believers in the room. Jesus says, remember me. And when you remember me, you'll remember that I got you, that I, that, that I have you, I really do, that I see you, that I know you. You'll remember that just like I provided then, I'll provide again, just like I took care of you then, I'll take care of you again. I'll provide like I always have. To close, I have, I have two questions that might help you respond to this, to this time and to God's word today. And maybe just even what the Spirit's doing in your heart right now. But this first question is this, how do you need God to be the God of do it again for you today? <laughs> how do you need God to be the God of do it again for you today? This will require some self-reflection and some memory. Because he can do anything. We sang about that today. Is there something he has done before that you need him to do again? And perhaps that something isn't even something that he's done for you, but you've seen him do it for others, and you're saying, God, I need you to do that for me now. How do you need God to be the God of do it again? And since we talk so much in the middle of the sermon about God has some things that he wants us to forget as well, are, is there something that he wants to forgive? Question number two, do you need to forget something so that you can forgive someone? Do you, need, do you need to let go of a memory that is perpetuating your own prison? Do you need freedom and peace? So if you've come in here today and you're a bit tired and weary and perhaps frustrated or weighed down, I just want to encourage you with what you see kind of throughout the scripture and this idea 
of remembering in Psalm 143. I'll just just read this. I don't think it's on the screen, but it says, I meditate on all your works and I remember what your hands have done. I meditate on all of your works and I remember what your hands have done. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ today, remember it's not about what you have. It's about who has you. It's not about what's in the boat. It's about who's in the boat with you. Be encouraged and remember today. I just want to say a few words because this might connect with some of you. That Jesus is our comfort. And if you've lost comfort, he'll give it to you again. Jesus is our peace. If you've been feeling anxious and unrest and anxiety, he'll provide peace again. Jesus is our salvation. Just remember, he's he's saved before and he'll save again, no matter who they are. Jesus is our healer. He's healed before and he's going to heal again. Jesus is our rest. If you're weary and tired, he'll give you rest again. Jesus is our purpose. If you're lost and need guidance, he'll lead you again. Jesus is our joy. If you lack joy, if you've been depressed, he will restore the joy of your salvation again. So we meditate on all your works, God, and we remember what your hands have done. So I want to pray for us. So if you just bow your heads, we're going to invite him to move and just invite the Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. We ask you to come right now. And I pray for each and every one of us that, Father, we would be aware of what you're doing right now. We'd be aware of your presence. So give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see so that we may understand. I believe, um, I believe God wants to move and help some of us today. I really believe that. I actually believe that he wants to show some of us that he's going to do it again. That he wants to help again, provide again, forgive again, draw close again, comfort again. So I'm just going to pray. And just as I'm praying right now, just again, be sensitive to maybe what God is trying to put into your heart right now. What he's trying to remind you of and encourage you with. As I was praying in preparation for this, I felt like there was someone in the room that needs God's healing touch today. And and perhaps you need a physical healing, but you've been afraid to ask in prayer with others. And I I would just say today, I want you to remember God right now and believe that perhaps God is calling you to step in faith over fear and ask him to do it again. And, and, I, and I know these are connected to the two questions, but I also feel like someone in here needs to truly let go of something. That today, we, that was talked about just for you. That God wants you to remember how he's forgiven you and to remember that you've needed a great deal of forgiveness in your life. And he wants you to remember that so you'll have the strength to forgive someone else, to forgive that person. So here's what I want to do as a way of responding. If today you need God to be the God of do it again, 
I want to pray for you. No one's looking around. Would you just, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but would you just lift your hand if that's like, that's where I, I need him to do it again. I, I need him to provide comfort or provide whatever. Just raise your hand real quick. Just real quick. Lift it up. There's a whole bunch of us. Or for question number two, if you're here and you just, you need to let go of something and you need to forgive and you just need God to help you with that. You just lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you too. Father, we pray for those two things. I mean, those are, there's all sorts of needs across the room and all sorts of things running through our minds right now. And Lord, only you are powerful, powerful enough to meet each and every one of us exactly where we need you to be. So we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray your power right now would come in and would start to do the miraculous work that only you could do that you can give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, but you can do more than that. You can provide in abundant ways. You can heal in miraculous ways. You can comfort in the sweetest of ways. You can forgive in the most powerful ways. And so, Father, I pray right now that those in need right now would turn to you and would find exactly what they need in your presence. So God, we love you. We praise you. And Lord, as your scripture says, we just want to continue to meditate on all the great things you do and the ways that your hands have um, done so many great things. So Lord, we praise you that you're worthy of every ounce of our praise. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Can we just thank God, praise Him for His goodness. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.